Tom Shepstone from naturalgasnow.org, which is uh, published by Shepstone Management Company, my planning and uh, research consulting. Thank you for being patient with me as we only went through four or five rounds to try to get the static out of the microphone. And, whew, boy, thank you, Mr. Tom Shepstone, Natural Gas Now, for joining us here. And we wanted to bring you in today to talk a little bit about natural gas because it's very interesting what's going on in the, uh, main, the traditional media, the mainstream media, I guess, is still what they're called. But the, there's a lot of uh, natural gas framing going on. I, I don't think the Dallas Cowboys are going to be able to sign a free agent for the next 10 years without <laughs> some sort of headline guilt now with uh, Jerry Jones. <laughs> you know, have you seen those headlines about Jerry oh, Jones? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting about a lot of the framework that's going on and uh, the finger pointing that's coming out of this Texas storm. Uh, I thought we'd bring you in a little bit, because you're very familiar with the grid, you know, especially with, uh, is it PMJ down the road from you? What's the name of that big grid operator? It's, uh, P- PGM. PGM, sorry. And so you, you've got a lot of that. Cabot Oil, of course, second largest, fourth largest uh, natural gas company in the United States. So let's talk a little bit about what you saw when it came to the Texas grid. And in terms with natural gas, I saw anywhere from, 60-70% that natural gas had to kick in in order to uh, basically take care of a lot of emergency services down in Texas. What are you seeing coming out of there? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think that's a, that's a, actually a very good number. Uh, there was some analysis that was done uh, by the Energy Information uh, Administration, uh, or some of their data, I should say, by Alex Epstein and some others, who and they put together a really interesting graph that, that kind of graph things out for the week or 10 days that were that this whole thing went on and you could see how the the, the amount of ener- electricity provided by natural gas just ballooned uh, tremendously as the amount by uh, generated by wind uh, necessarily declined to, to, to barely uh, barely perceptible and uh, we know why because the uh, you know the wind the wind turbines froze there was, to be fair, some freezing of natural gas infrastructure, too, uh, because, you know, in Texas, they're just not prepared on any level for this kind of uh, cold that they had. But the, the bottom line is that the natural gas was able to recover much quicker. Uh, and when you look at that graph, it, it's really startling. I mean, it just, it just you can't argue with it. And I think it reflects uh, two things. One is natural gas saved the day, which is what you said. And number two, it reflects the problem when you over-rely upon any renewable form of energy because it's never dispatchable. You can't, you can't increase the amount of wind energy that you need at a given moment, or solar for that matter. Um, you can a little bit with hydro because uh, you know hydro generally is under you know utilized and you can you know uh, push more water through the system let's say but the but if we just look at the big the big two wind and solar that everybody wants to talk about you cannot just suddenly turn it up and turn the dial uh, turn the thermostat up and say give me more uh, it doesn't work that way you you get what you get and with natural gas or for that matter with coal or for nu- with nuclear energy, uh, uh, all three of those, you can literally just feed more of the product into the system and turn it up and say, you know, uh, give me a level 10, you know, 
that kind of a thing in terms of capacity. So you always have the ability to turn the dial up uh, to a certain level, at least, with those uh, types of, of uh, resources. And that's what's called dispatchability. If you can't dispatch it uh, at a moment's notice, um, then it isn't really worth much in the long term because the you've got to be able to dispatch it. Texas proved that. Uh, wind and solar is non-dispatchable. And the only way they're ever going to make it dispatchable is by developing uh, battery storage, which, of course, they're making some progress on here and there. But the amount of storage that would be required is astronomical, and it's not going to happen. And, and then the economics of it are not there. And the and the difficulty of, of getting the rare earth minerals and everything else you need to make that work uh, on any kind of a... Um, uh, region-wide or statewide or nationwide or global scale is just not there. I mean, it's, it's, so this is what we're learning. The politicians are running around, you know, uh, throwing uh, arrows at each other. Uh, I love it how Chuck Schumer, the obnoxious senator from New York uh, City, is uh, lecturing Texas about how they should have had more wind and solar. Oh, come on. I, actually, that, that, that's one of the part I wanted to ask you about. I, I was going to yeah. lead in with a different way, but it's, it's a horse apiece on this question, which is, to me, I'm looking at this graph right now, by the way. The, uh, in, is it the, hang on here, let me pull it up. Oh, folks, hang on, hang on. The uh, U.S. Energy Information Administration, the EIA. Okay, this is, yep. I think this might have been what you were talking about, that, uh, Texas region daily generation mix on 2 17 20, 21 central time. It was right. 67% natural gas, 16% coal, 8% nuclear, 2% solar, and 6% wind. So when I, when I take a look at those numbers, that, that was shocking to me, by the way. Absolutely yeah. shocking, because the first numbers I saw was, like, coal was leading everything with 40%, like the initial numbers I saw and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And so, two-part two question here. Same question, but two parts to it. Number one is, I think if I were to put my journalist hat on, and by the way, folks, I have won awards in both the newspaper and the radio industry for, for news, so I do know what I'm talking about here. If, <laughs> if I'm going to put my journalism hat on, the story is that natural gas saved the day. Okay, yeah, that, that, That's the story. And number two... You mentioned Chuck Schumer. Well, I've been I've been going off about Bill Gates. Like, why is what what media outlet actually believes Bill Gates has something of relevancy to say during a Texas crisis about the grid? Why is Bill Gates or Chuck Schumer, for that matter, why why are media outlets allowing outside voices to finger point, shame, nitpick? When there's an actual legitimate crisis going on, there's still people without water. I just read a, a thing today where now Texas isn't even the number one state with blackouts. Now it's Mississippi, Alabama, and some of the some of the neighboring states are having issues now. So anyway, uh, lo long question just to ask, at what point does the media got to have some responsibility, and why is uh, the fossil fuels just getting hammered through this when they seem to be the one that saved the day here? Well, because of the political correctness. I mean, uh, you know, and your, your question about, you know, when is the media going to be responsible? The answer is never. Huh. You know, that's true. Yellow that, journalism has been around since Hearst and everybody yeah, else. Yeah, it's, it's never going to be responsible. It, it's and it's 
it's very bad right now. I don't know if it you know might get a little better. I mean, but I think the uh, what we see with the with the press today is that it's wholly in the pocket of, of uh, political uh, correctness. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you can argue that it's wholly in the pocket of the Democrat Party, wholly in the pocket of the of the green energy movement, whatever. But the the bottom line is it's 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 dedicated to political correctness. It's not dedicated to truth or searching it out. It's you know it's it's aligned with certain factions, with certain opinions and certain ideologies, and that's what it promotes. Now maybe you know if you go back to Benjamin Franklin's day when he used to produce a little uh, uh, handout, you know that kind of a thing, a newsletter, whatever we call it, um, and poor Richard's almanac and all that. The you know he was also political. <laughs> so you know and and you uh, so Very. I'm not sure that the press is the press is ever going to be. Uh, responsible. The only way you're going to get responsibility is probably after the fact and by searching out uh, other ways to communicate. And I think that's what you're seeing in the country. I don't want to get too far afield here, but I think you're seeing with uh, with uh, different websites, with uh, other ways of communicating, uh, people are starting to communicate in uh, other ways. And uh, I... Yeah, I don't want to get too philosophical on you, but I'm a big admirer of uh, Solzhenitsyn, who, of course, pioneered the whole idea of uh, Samizdat, which is, you know, uh, essentially uh, secret <laughs> secret publications, you know, and that's kind of what's happening in the U.S., I think, and that's, what, that's the only way you're going to get the truth out about what's happening in Texas. And I'd like to think of my little blog, naturalgasnow.org, as a little bit of Samizdat in that regard, so... Um, That's funny you brought up old poor Richard's almanac, but, you know, the one thing that I've always said about some of the traditional media, you know, Hearst is, Hearst is probably one of the, William Hearst uh, of the Hearst uh, Publishing, right. he's, he's probably one of the greatest examples of yellow journalism and using his publications to build his timber empire and DuPont and right. everybody else that he's, he's helped out through the years, and that's that's... And that is so well documented, you would have thought we would have learned a few things and not figured out ways to use those into angles. We would have learned it to help society, but hey, that's a different story for a different day. But yeah. um, my point is, though, is that with Franklin, at least you knew it was a political cartoon. At least you knew it was an opinion, an op-ed yeah, section. Right. He had letters to the editor that he would use under pen names, and and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and I get that you got to prime the pump and whatever you want to call it, you know, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. But uh, today, today's day and age, though, you would you would think though that there would be enough journalists out there just to, or I guess, support for journalism. I honestly think that. We are living in a day and age where journalism is going to change, and I, I don't want to get too far off base either a little bit, but this is part of the problem. This is part of the problem. And when you take a look at a lot of the big newspapers, it's no secret that since the Internet came around uh, 15, 20, 30 years ago, uh, the newspapers have been struggling. They've had a monopoly for 100 years, and 10, 20 years, they're going bankrupt. That's a paradigm shift, okay? So they're they're trying to figure out how to make things work, and... How do you make things work in the newspaper industry? Well, you can either have a bunch of advertisers or you can have subscribers. And they went the advertiser route. And when they went the advertiser route, the subscribers started dropping. And so I think there's a big opening right now for real journalism with subscribers. And well, I think you're, go ahead. I think you're absolutely right, Jason. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. I, you know, and I have a, a, 
great friend who's uh, who we uh, you know go back and forth, uh, jabbing each other, you know, but that kind of a friend. And uh, uh, he's an excellent reporter and writer, and uh, writes for uh, actually writes for auto magazines these days. But he used to you know, write for a newspaper, and he's been saying for the last ten years, he says, you know, the time is the time is just about there where we can launch a new newspaper, you know. <laughs> And do it differently. You know? Well, and, and uh, I agree. In fact, I think that there's the time is now where uh, the old traditional subscriber route without any without any advertisers. You know, you might get a couple, but you don't rely on them. And when you don't rely right. on them, it's really it's 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 a nice feeling when you can turn away money. I don't know what that's like, but you know, uh, I'm sure it would be just because it wouldn't you know match up with whatever your newspaper's ideology are. The other. Well, the, the other way is is a video I saw about 15 years ago, and it had to do with the evolution of the media. And it started with Gutenberg, okay, the printing press. And it actually might have even started with hieroglyphics now that I'm thinking about it. But it went into the future, and it went about how eventually we had to get rid of copyright laws. And, and it just it went about 10, 20, 30, 100 years in the future. I can't remember exactly how far. But I'll never forget because... It said the New York Times goes offline and only do- goes to a print publication and will charge $20,000 a year and be subscriber-based only. And I thought, genius. You're, you're the newspaper record, and you only cater to the elite. So I, I think that would be another newspaper that would work pretty well. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I agree with you. Yeah, charge 50000 bucks a year, and you only have that information. Yeah. There'll be people who pay for it. So there's, you know, the, but my point point is, though, I do believe that the media is changing a little bit. And what bothers me about, you know, Chuck Schumer coming out and, and backseat driving and Bill Gates backseat driving from Washington is that that gives the social media armies, the social shamers, kind of a source to cite. You know, they, they say, well, Chuck Schumer says, well, Bill Gates says. And then that kind of just turns the noise up 10 times, you know. So. Well, Bill Gates is a, is, is a, is a great example because he is quoted on subjects all the time about which he obviously knows nothing. And uh, and I think he's quoted because they assume he's one of the world's smartest people. Well, no, he's one of the world's richest people, you know? So uh, it doesn't necessarily make him... He may be very smart, but he's not the smartest person. And the uh, I love the quote from, uh, I think it was uh, from one of our famous economists who uh, said... Uh, you know, uh, intelligence is the most overrated uh, factor by the intelligent, you know, huh. and, and it's true, you know, the, uh, because no person, no matter how bright, has the ability to make as intelligent decisions as, um, you know, a uh, hundred people off the street. A hundred people off the street are always going to be smarter than one very smart person. Um, and that's because you're going to get a variety of experiences with that hundred people off the street. You know, Bill Beckley said that years ago. I forget that you see the numbers all the time. He said, would you rather have your, suppose you were, you were before a court and you had a ser- you were accused of a serious crime. Would you want to be judged by the smartest person uh, at Harvard? Or would you want to be, would you want to rather be judged by a hundred people out of the Boston phone book? And the answer is a hundred people out of the Boston phone book, you know? So, um, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, and I, I think there there are opportunities uh, opening up. We see that with the Epic Times is a is a new piece of journalism that seems to be doing reasonably well, um, and they're doing a combination of print and and video and things like that. 
So uh, uh, it's it, it's a new world, and you know people have to adapt. And I think there is a market out there for that. So there's your opportunity, Jason. We are actually looking at uh, relaunching Bakken.com as a regular news site. Um, there's a gentleman that's approached me. He's uh, his, mm-hmm. his family is media, and he's kind of disgusted at some of the current situation. So I've been kind of consulting with him on the side a little bit to because honestly, you you go outside of North Dakota, most people don't even know what Bakken is. And that, mm-hmm. I, I said, mm-hmm. you know, you don't. I, I understand it's a shale play. I said, but the average person. They'll just look at it as Nike or Pepsi, just a made-up word, and that's all. And he wanted to get into a little bit more of the journalism side of things, especially he's he's very interested in the banking side with the the way the stimulus money and the PPP money has been doled out going through the banks because what happens when it goes through the banks on the back end, it it increases their uh, equity, increases their um, net worth, so to speak, because they turn around the... Well, they turn around, they lend the money out. Whether it's a grant or not, it's still on the books as a loan. And once it's on the books as a loan, well, that yeah. that goes to your sheets. You know, it's very favorable. So, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. yeah, it's a whole angle nobody's ever talked about before. You know, and it's probably yeah. probably one that'll get you shut down pretty quick. I guess who knows? <laughs> They're pretty powerful, those bankers. Um, I was looking at your website, Natural Gas Now. Gas industry has a great story to retell, and it must be retold often. What is that all about? Well, the, the point of that story is that, you know, we get so caught up in the issues of the moment, you know, like Texas, for example. You know, uh, Texas has been on everybody's mind the last uh, seven to ten days, and uh, tremendous interest on my, on my website about the whole Texas situation. We've had numerous posts up about it, and they've all been very well read from a standpoint of our numbers and um what we're what we're seeing is that we're tending to forget the basic message that natural gas has been just a a total winner on several fronts you know environmentally we have uh, helped reduce emissions i'm not a guy who really is worried about global warming but if somebody's concerned about co2 carbon emissions and all that uh natural gas has been the thing that's accomplished more than anything else in that regard. And it's also very positive environmentally from the standpoint of if you're a landowner, there's almost nothing you can do with your property that will generate so much return for so little disturbance of your property, so little use of your property, than natural gas development. It is, or for that matter, shale oil development which uh, is what you're doing out there. So the it, it is a tremendous uh, open space preserver because it gives people who own land a way to pay their taxes and to derive an income from that land without, without uh, using an awful lot of it. So it's environmentally very good in that respect as well. And, of course, it burns clean. And as a result, when you make electricity with it, you uh, generate, you know, hugely less uh, sulfur dioxide, for example, which is, you know, a big cause of asthma and things like that. So I'm familiar with a a little power plant over in uh, Luzerne County, which is near about an hour from us. About 10 years ago, they converted that to natural gas, doubled the size of its capacity, converted it to natural gas. It was coal and uh, reduced the sulfur dioxide emissions by 99%. Well, you know, that's a huge win. And we don't talk about that enough. 
and we we tend to forget that the whole water quality thing has been nobody talks much about the water quality issue anymore just the real hysterics uh, over here in, in Pennsylvania we have two river basin commissions the Delaware and the Susquehanna they're governed by the same governing majority of states and uh, in the Susquehanna we're allowed to, uh, to drill for gas in the DRBC Delaware not so much so what do we had happen in the Susquehanna we've got now 11, 12 years, well, 13, 14 now, I guess, years experience with fracking in the Susquehanna River Basin. And we have that River Basin Commission literally saying there's no discernible impact on stream water quality from fracking. Well, there you go. I mean, we've got a, a major energy generator that is not harming our stream. So the water quality issue is long behind us, really. And, um, you look at all this stuff, and then you look at the employment, the, the fact that natural gas has been a huge economic winner for rural areas. Uh, it is, you know, Susquehanna County has literally had an infusion of billions of dollars uh, of money. So all that stuff adds up. It is, it is economically and environmentally a, a tremendous winner across the board. Uh, can you nitpick at it? Of course you can, but... Uh, uh, natural gas, when you add it all up, it is such a big net positive uh, for our uh, any region that has it. And I believe the same is true of shale oil as well. It's a net positive. I'm sure you've seen it out in western North Dakota that uh, you've seen some you know revival of some rural areas and some uh, some real needed uh, economic change. And I remember um, you know 15 years ago, I used to uh, talk about the fact that. Uh, Pennsylvania and New York were growing uh, only uh, slightly faster than North Dakota, which was the least growing, the slowest growing state in the Union. Well, that's no longer the case, you know. So, <laughs> and it's because of shale oil, you know. Uh, so uh, that, that's the story we're not telling because we're too focused on fighting the enemy. You know, we keep fighting the fractivists. We keep responding to their every attack and uh and i enjoy doing that but we've got to tell the positive story because it's a tremendous story to tell i do think stories are the way to reach people now um it's right. obvious after what i've witnessed for 10 years fat they don't care about facts they don't i mean no. they don't care about science nothing no. it's it's feel good it's attitude over information Yep. It's it's stories over over hypothesis and theses and it's it's really interesting because you know when I look at natural gas for example uh, four hydrocarbons pretty good pretty good we're down to four I mean we were at a lot more back when we used to burn hay and wood and coal right. and even crude oil and you know for a while there they almost extinct the whales you know so I right. mean how green is that but. When I take a look at the natural gas, I really just don't understand why this crash course to get whatever type of energy source they're trying to produce, because I haven't even seen a net positive on like wind or solar when, it, when, when you boil it down with the rare earth minerals and the mining and, and the transportation and the manufacturing, if that's even a net positive versus natural gas, because... Last time I checked, if you go out to Wyoming or Western uh, Colorado, that stuff's just coming out of the ground. 
So it's just, yeah. it's, it's just in, in your parts of Pennsylvania, the same thing, you know, I mean, you yeah. stick a shovel in the ground and it might be so shallow, some gas might come up. So yeah. it's a pretty clean energy and it's pretty reliable. And what we saw in Texas is it can be life-saving too. So I just, I'm, I'm curious what your opinion is on why it gets demonized so much. Is it just because it's part of the fossil fuel family or what? Well, I think, yes, I think so, but it's also because people see, um, they see that the potential it has, and they're jealous of it, I think. Um, you and I have talked about this before, that in, in the, the natural gas industry is filled with people who just want to get a job done, you know. It's, yeah. it's, blue, it's very blue-collar for the most part. Uh, it's down-to-earth, and... Uh, the elitists in our society are not comfortable with that. They don't like that um, because they're not very good at practical things, you know, and a lot of them aren't anyway. And so they're, they're very jealous of it. And, and I think there's also, that's one segment of the, the guilt-ridden trust funder segment, you might say. The, the other segment is the, uh, the folks who are looking to make a fortune off government rent. I mean, the, the, this is what green energy is. It's basically a, I call it green eggs and scam, which is um, th- there's just trillions of dollars to be made by governments subsidizing this stuff. And we're seeing the hedge fund types, you know, those those sorts of elites. Uh, that camp is, uh, they're, they're funding they're funding opposition to fossil fuels and natural gas development because they they want the gravy train of green eggs and scam to continue. So, I guess that that's a mixed metaphor, but I think you got it. Yeah, no, I got it. I I, <laughs> I understand where you're coming from there. So, well, sir, uh, what should people walk away from this knowing as far as the Texas grid, natural gas, et cetera, as we kind of conclude here? What what do you want people to take away from this? Well, I think based on the interest in the articles that, that I put up about this, uh, seven or eight of them, I think, uh, the level of interest in this tells me that the ordinary American appreciates that this whole global warming uh, is going to uh, destroy the earth and we're going to die tomorrow thing is just not real, and that what happened in Texas is real, and that we need to be we need to be taking a lot closer look at what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. I, I think I think the average person really gets that, and so that gives me some hope, you know, to uh, that we can uh, we can prevail at the end of the day on some of this stuff. But uh, it's a tough it's a tough road because of the things that we just talked about. Naturalgasnow.org is the website. Right. Of course, you can go and support it. He's got an actual. Well, oh, 99 cents a month to keep it going. Look at you. You're going off of the <laughs> subscribers, too. Good for you, man. Dude. Yeah, we're doing subscribers. We thought about doing that, doing both the individual subscriber and the business subscriber, because, you know, that's that's the way you got to right. adapt in today's world. What do they say that prevention favors the elite and adaption favors the average? There you go. Because the average know how to adapt and the elite don't. That's why they always yeah. are trying to prevent. They're trying to prevent, yeah, prevent, prevent, because they don't want their lifestyle to change. Whereas the average yeah. person, they, they, they're so used to rolling with the flow, they don't care. They can adapt to that. about anything. That. That's, a, that's, a great, that's a great note to end on here. That's great. Well, sir, thank you much. We'll talk down the road, okay? I love talking to you, Jason. Have a great day. Thank you.